You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Daniel Howitt's interview with the editor for Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, Marianne Brandon. We've passed on all we know. A thousand generations live in you now. But this is your fight. This is Daniel Howitt, and I'm here with Marianne Brandon, editor of big movies like Star Trek, Super 8, Star Wars The Force Awakens, and now Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. Marianne, thanks so much for joining me this morning. Happy to be here. Thank you. So we're talking on Monday, December 23rd, opening weekend just wrapped up for The Rise of Skywalker here in America. So many artists talk about never feeling like their work is truly finished, like they always want to tweak more or do something more all the way up until it's taken out of their hands. Do you, do you resonate with that? How, how do you feel now that your film is out in the world? Well, um, I think that's probably true. I think, you know, a little distance gives uh, a, a lot of perspective. Right. Um, I think we worked really hard on The Force Awakens, um, The Rise of Skywalker, and I would say, you know, I'm not sure there's, given more time, I, I'm pretty happy with the film. So yeah. I don't have those kind of questions, really. Although there is a question that people keep asking me that I, in retrospect, I, I, I thought we answered, but I guess it wasn't, it was what was Finn, uh, have you seen the film? Yes, yes I have. It was what was, what did Finn want to call Ray when they (laughs) were in the sinking sands? And do you, do you have an answer you want to share? I think it's one of those things that I'd rather let the audience fill in because there's sure. so many moments in the film that kind of fill it in yeah, but yeah. um it's always fascinating to me to hear you know i keep getting these emails like i love the film <laughs> but you know etc cetera, et cetera. by the way what was the thing finn wanted to <laughs> <laughs> so i kind of um love that so yeah. i think i'll leave it at that okay all right yeah i, I definitely like the open-ended nature of, of moments like that i thought that was great me too Mm-hmm. So this is your sec- second Star Wars film. Did did anything change for you in the way you approached the Rise of Skywalker versus The Force Awakens? Um, well, I um, because I was familiar with the characters and it was you know an ending piece as opposed mm-hmm. to an intro piece. Yeah. I was very careful to try and not assume that an audience, you know, you have that problem where. An, you know, when you're introducing an origin story, it's in a way, you know, you have a blank slate to say this person is a new person and I'm going to tell you about them. Yeah. When you're doing a an ending piece, you can't assume everyone comes into it knowing exactly who people are and where they're at and what they're about. You kind of have to pay mind to reintroducing them, but in a you know, way that it isn't overbearing. Do you know what I mean? Like you can't just yeah. assume everyone's going to go, this guy's a good character. That guy's, that gal's a, you know, bad character, or you kind of have to reset it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So there, there's that. And I was very mindful of that in my approach to this film. What, what do you think is more difficult or what did you find more, more difficult introductions or conclusions? Oh, for me, I think conclusions are much more difficult. Hmm. I think expectations are higher. Yeah, I think yeah. um, audiences form an opinion in their, you know, in their own narrative drama that 
they either want to see or they have an expectation that they want to be met or they come into it and feel, you know, wow me and tell me a a story. And there's, again, the added burden of wanting to every film I do, whether it's the origin or middle or sequel, you, I want the movie to stand on its own. So if you haven't seen any other Star Wars, I would, you know, my goal would be for someone to see this movie and just enjoy it because it stands on its own. Yeah. It's a big order. How do you balance the pressures of editing a movie like this? I mean, it's a highly, highly, highly anticipated film, and and that's that's nothing new for you. You've edited many films with, with that sort of expectation. But how does that pressure play into your, your mind as you're approaching a project like this? Well, I hope I'm going to... <laughs> you know, the first one is absolute, you know, they'll find me out for the fraud I really am. And um, <laughs> I don't think I can fake it anymore. Uh, that that moment, I you know, it's overwhelming, of course. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you go in and I don't want to disappoint, you know, anyone. My children, my friends' children, my <laughs> friends, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I remember a really good friend of mine after I did... Uh, can't remember which film oh i think it was passengers or maybe it was force awakens or my oldest friend said to me you know you talk like you drank the kool-aid marianne and <laughs> i was I, I i was laughing and i thought about it later on i went back to her and i said you know um i don't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing but like you have to approach these things with a hundred percent belief mm-hmm. because if you're doubting it you, for me, I have to throw myself into it 100% yeah. Yeah. and believe in it. And even if I change my mind, I can change my mind and believe in that. But while I'm doing it, every cut I'm making, I'm making for a reason. And every story I'm telling, a character, a performance I'm looking for, I I have to believe in that reason. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you've worked you've worked quite often with J.J. Abrams. What what's your process of working together? What does the edit process look like between the two of you? Um, well, we talk about the f- script once it's written, and I, you know, he asks me my opinion and my first impressions, and so we talk a little bit before we go into production, and then. Um, uh, it, it, it changes each time, you know. I mean, we uh, on this film, I all the other films I've done, I've collaborated with another editor. Her name is Mary Jo Markey. And on this film, I collaborated with uh, Stefan Group, who's um, also had worked at Bedrow, but I, he cut Cloverfield Lane, so JJ mm-hmm. knew him, and Mary Jo had decided to do go a different direction. She she wanted to cut some other things. And um so it was a little bit different because I went on location and Stefan stayed in Los Angeles while we mm. were shooting and then we all came together and and because the schedule is much shorter on this one, uh I proposed to JJ that we try a version of me actually cutting on the set mm. so that but we could spend whatever time he had where he wasn't thoroughly exhausted, um, looking, you know, at trying to get the cuts together so we could get the visual effects started because yeah. we just didn't have time. And that proved out to be, um, work out really well. And so it was a little bit, a little bit different on this one. We just 
um, spent more shoot shoot time together. And I became sort of part of the crew, the the shooting crew, which was different for me and quite exciting. And I felt really part of it. And it allowed me to shortcut a lot of things because I could, I could, you know, because I was present, I could see exactly what they were going for or have an interpretation of what they were going for. So by the time I got those dailies, I wasn't just sitting in a room going, what the hell, you know, and trying to figure it out. I had to step up on that. And, um, you know, at some point, JJ and I discussed, it was always good for me to have a, um, a clean view without being, you know, present for the shoot to know what, what it was. But I have to say over the years, I've come around to the other end of that, where I think it's really, um, beneficial to understand intent especially yeah. with big visual effects films because um you can you can just bypass a lot of you know wasted time and it doesn't um prohibit me from seeing other possibilities in the footage i, right. I didn't find that at all yeah take me through the process just a little bit you know you, you've cut so many big special effects driven films what's the process like of of editing footage where there's you know, large chunks missing because of, of incomplete special effects or whatever the case may be. How do you, how do you kind of navigate um, cutting footage like that? Yeah, well, <laughs> it's really overwhelming. Mm. And even as many of, as I've done now, I, 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 I'll get a scene and um, uh, it's, you know, uh, at first I'm like, oh my God, I have no idea. This is going to be really hard. I, I mean, I get the story. I know what I'm going for, and I have to find the shots that will fill that in. But you know, there's a point where um, I'm just like, I don't get it. I don't get what direction mm, they're looking yeah. in, or, you know. And 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 then I kind of remind myself that at some point, you know, a month or a week or a year later, this is going to be done, and it will be a scene. So then mm-hmm. I go back. <laughs> I don't. I don't allow myself to get that discouraged. Yeah, and I've also learned over the years. You know, there's no um, shame in asking people who were present, which was another reason I really liked being on the set. Yeah. Like I could go to the visual effects supervisor and say, "Hey, Roger, um, I got this footage. Can you what? Do you, what's your plan for it? Or you know, where, where do you think? What do you want me to go for here? Or go go to JJ a lot, and I would say, you know, where does this all go? How does this, Mm. you know, explain it to me? Yeah. Um, Because there's still, as I said before, a wildly, uh, you know, there's a a amount of room for refiguring, but you have to start with something. You know, you have to start with a sketch and lay it out and figure that out. So, um, yeah, it's hard. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And and uh, another thing that I imagine was was pretty difficult in this film was uh, you know of course Carrie Fisher passed away before being able to to work on this project and um, her family gave permission to to use some of her footage here. How did how did you approach uh, putting Carrie Fisher in this film using extra footage things like that? How did you all tackle that? Um, we tackled it because we uh, JJ when he wrote the script with Chris Terrio, they both agreed that they couldn't really tell a story of Princess, you know, of um, Mm -hmm. the end of Star Wars without Princess Leia. 
and they were absolutely right. And we had this footage we didn't use in seven, some really great scenes that um, just didn't fit into the story uh, as it took shape on Force Awakens. And um, they wrote scenes around her and we used that footage and people like uh, actors like Daisy and I, Oscar and John Boyega, they, um, they just made it work. You know, they, they, they saw the footage. We showed them the original footage. They we had a stand in on set for her and um, ILM did their magic. And honestly, what sells it is uh, the acting, yeah. against, you know, against her and the lighting that Dan and Del did and the crazy work that ILM did. Um, I think those scenes are pretty seamless and, I don't know. There's something about I'm so happy we got to use those scenes because yeah. of course, Carrie's not here anymore. And um, I'm really happy that she just looks great in them. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, you know, I don't, I would not have put it in the film. I don't think JJ would have put it in the film if they weren't perfect. I mean, that was one of our mantras. If it isn't perfect, we, we can't use it. That's good. Uh, so throughout the film, we're, we're following multiple stories across the film, cross-cutting between all of them in, in the middle of intense action. So how did you balance these stories and balance the pacing um, without getting separated from any one of these stories? Well, we, uh, you know, that I think when you make one of these stories, you know, they're scripted. So, of course, you know, it's in the writer's mind, sure. JJ and Chris, where you go in and out of the story. And then when you see it, once you put the film together, you know, you bet you kind of have to figure out where the emotional, is it a storyline that needs an emotional ending? Is it a cliffhanger that you want to come back to? Is this the incoming story related an answer to the outgoing story? You know, are they parallel? And I think that, um, that kind of, dictates where you come in and out of the, um, the cross-cutting. Uh, the hardest part of the cross-cutting was in the battle at the end because, mm-hmm. you know, when Ray, you saw the film, I'm assuming, yes. mm-hmm. when Ray is underground fighting Palpatine, you know, the, the resistance is above ground fighting this massive fleet, and yeah. there's a third story where Finn and Jana are on the third destroyer trying to take it down, and it was a very tricky to balance who was doing well and who was doing badly. And yeah. if you left someone doing badly, you didn't want to end someone doing really well because then you had to come back and they were doing badly. Right. So right. Um, it was a tricky balance. And thank God for John Williams, who kind of, you know, does his magic and takes you into those um, transitions incredibly well. I mean, you know, when you hear his music put to it, then you go, oh, no, it's, you know, it, it's working. It, it, the only time I I would know it's not working was when I could never, oh, I couldn't put music to it. Mm, okay. That's a really good indicator that something's not working well. Yeah. You know, I'm curious, uh, are there any ways in which the original trilogy inspires the way that you cut this film or approach this film? Did the editing or pacing of those films... Um, yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, those films were made in, well, the first one was made in 77, and of course, 
filmmaking has changed quite a bit. You know, people that was shot on film. Well, we shot on film, but, you know, that was cut mm. on film. They probably didn't use three or four cameras. Right. They didn't, you know, they had let, they probably, they shot less, they moved slower. You know, crews now, you'll have sometimes three units running and mm -hmm. three or four cameras running and everyone's audience's tastes have um, I don't know for better or for worse, have moved up to, you know, into this more fast paced, action y, um, heavy, you know, they read film differently. And, you know, there are times I strive to go back to that kind of editing or putting together of a story because I think ultimately, um, those are the things, like if your performances and characters and story are working, those are the things that you, any audience will watch and have patience for. So I kind of took a bit from that and then mixed the old with the new. Mm. And uh, and that's what I try to do. I try to let the scene kind of dictate what it wants to be. Yeah. I don't, I don't try to push it harder than that. And what, I feel like when I do, I, I it's, it, it doesn't work for me or I'm failing or something, hmm. you know? Yeah. Were, were there any uh, particular sections of the film that stand out to you as one that you just really uh, enjoyed editing? Just uh, it all came together perfectly and you just really loved it. <laughs> I really love the um, scene when, you know, well, I love the fight on the, um, uh, over the water, the fight mm, between yeah. Ray and um, Ren. Yeah. And, that and then how Leia gets involved and I just love that whole scene all the way through him remembering his father and I, I think it's the, it's spectacular to look at and then it slows down and it's emotional and I mean it just says from that sequence on from the sequence where she walks into the goes into the Death Star Emperor's room sees Dark Ray all the way through him seeing um, his father. I just love that. And I loved cutting that because it's kind of, it's like the perfect sequence of events. And yeah. it, you know, it gets fast paced, it gets slow paced, it's emotional. They're amazing. The visual effects are amazing. It, they're, I feel like they're used to their best um, capacity. And, um, and at the end of it, you really feel something. So, yeah. To me, that's the perfect section. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I I love all of it, but that was really successful for me. That's great. Uh, any any upcoming projects you you're able to share, willing or able to share with us? Anything you're working on? You know, I um, this has been such um, such an overwhelming and all-consuming project. Mm, yeah. And right before this, I cut Venom. Mm -hmm. which was also quite a consuming, all-encompassing project. And yeah. I, um, I'm going to take a little bit to regroup and figure out what um, I want to do next. I have a few things I'm interested in, and I need to talk to some people and see if they're interested. Mm. And uh, so I'm just kind of hoping um, I'm going to rest a little bit, yeah. and then I'm going to something else <laughs> that's great you deserve the rest yeah. uh 
I appreciate that. <laughs> well, Marion, thank you so much for talking with me today. Congratulations on the success of this film. It's phenomenal. Uh, so, yeah, thank, thank you again. You. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. It's always fun. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to Daniel Howitt's interview with the editor for Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, Marianne Brendan, here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall See you all next time.